Third service, I need a little bit more caffeine, I think. Today we are continuing in Mark 13. Remember from uh, the ne- for the next few weeks that we're going to be exploring Mark 13 and not a go-through-each-verse kind of way, but we're going to be picking themes out to discuss, and we'll get to all the verses, but it's going to be a little zigzaggy uh, along the way. So today we're going to be in Mark 13. We're going to be in verses 9 through 13, and I will read that in just a few moments. We hold the life that God has given us to be sacred. Today, we watched a beautiful video celebrating the sanctity of life. We tenderly hold a baby who is fresh from the womb, one who has been nurtured already for nine months. We embrace those who have physical challenges or mental difficulties, being mindful to treat them with the love they need and not the impatience we sometimes feel. We surround those who are older and frail, helping them to know that they are valued, even though it is hard for them sometimes to feel useful anymore. We value one another by listening to one another's viewpoints and cultures, believing that all of us have a story to tell. We weep when life is taken too soon and grieve those we love, whose lives have become an integral part of ours. As Christians, we use our time and our resources and our talent to reach out to those who have been beaten down by life. God asks us to help those who need his care, and so we do. Not as projects, not because we're great, but because we know that he asks us to extend his mercy, that all of us are equal and need dignity at the foot of the cross. He asks us to give the deep love that we have found in him. Yet today, we read a passage where Jesus is explaining how the lives of the disciples will not be honored because of their faith in him. The world dismisses those they don't want, casually treating life as expendable, depending on what they are trying to attain or what kind of fear or hate is driving them. Jesus, who will soon face all he is telling them, is trying to prepare them for the future that they will be questioned and beaten, betrayed, and hated for life in him. We feel the tension here of how Christians attempt to treat one another and everybody else with great care because God has been kind to us. We understand his love is meant to be given away, that we are meant to embrace everybody, including our enemies. But here is the Lord saying that they need to do that, but their lives are not going to be valued. The life of a Christian may be threatened and even brutally extinguished just for calling on the name of Jesus And even as we face this ugly reality, we understand because after 2,000 years, for all of the knowledge and communication and advances in science and music and art and self-awareness, we are still living in a world where we treat one another as way less than the valued children of God, less than being made in his image. The Lord is expressing a truth here that we need to think about. That the people and institutions of the world are threatened by the power that is present when Christians embody life in the name of Jesus. 
if what Christians said about Jesus wasn't true, if how they lived wasn't so transforming, then it would be ignored. Who cares? Great for you. But through the ages, this is not what we have seen. What we have seen is that God's power threatens those who don't want to submit to his life, making them angry and vengeful. And then they use their authority and influence and power against those whose commitment to Christ runs deeper than anything offered in this world. So hear the word of the Lord from Mark 13, 9 through 13. As for yourselves, beware, for they will hand you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings because of me as a testimony to them. And the good news must first be proclaimed to all nations. When they bring you to trial and hand you over, do not worry beforehand about what you are to say. But say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all because of my name. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Father, please bless the reading of this word and speak to us, God. You are here. You live in us and among us. Help us breathe in God, your spirit. Amen. In Mark 13, there are 17 imperatives of Jesus who is trying to inspire the disciples to remain faithful despite the challenges of suffering that they are going to have. And in these verses, he is telling them what they need to know for the future. And of course, by the time the church reads this, they are already experiencing the oppression that Jesus is talking about here. Jesus, who knew what he would face, attempts to get them ready. Now, although the disciples don't speak a word, we might hear their silent wondering, what are we supposed to do with this information? So let's talk about three actions Jesus gives for those who face persecution in their lives for following him. That's all of us, and that is women and men around the world who experience persecution at a very deep level. Let us commit, as we read this, to living our lives in a more out loud, fresh way. So here's the first action. Be ready for being persecuted. Jesus tells them that they need to beware, which is translated as, watch yourselves. In effect, he is telling them that they will face both Jewish authorities as well as Roman rulers. Now, in some ways, this reads a little bit like the temple being torn down that we talked about a few weeks ago. In other words, it seems unlikely. Will a bunch of unknown fishermen from Galilee really stand before kings to give testimony of Jesus? Yes, they will. Be ready, Jesus says. Be ready, because those who follow me will suffer like I will. Remember three times already in this book, he has told them exactly what is going to happen to him. He doesn't want them to be taken off guard. He wants them to be able to respond well. He wants us to be able to respond well 
when the time comes. So let's take just a few moments and give a little sketch about what the church has had to be ready for in its history, what it has had to endure and continues to face every day in the world. We know from scripture and from church tradition that most of the disciples faced death, faced martyrdom for following Jesus by those who hated what they stood for and how they acted. James, Philip, Matthew, Andrew, Simon, Paul, Luke, Stephen, Barnabas, Thomas, the list goes on. Jesus' words from the scripture came true in their lives as publicly they faced death in a variety of ugly and degrading ways. Mark, who wrote this gospel, was converted to the faith by Peter and then transcribed Peter's account of Jesus into this book. For his death, he was dragged through the streets until he finally succumbed by the people of Alexandria. The early church faced many systematic attempts by people and rulers who wanted to get rid of the Christian faith altogether. Starting with the Emperor Nero and ending with Diocletian, the church experienced 300 years of routine hostility for not worshiping the emperor, for not bowing to nationalistic gods, for being people who ate the body of Christ, for being easy to target, for not conforming to the culture around them. This persecution had the opposite effect, though. Instead of dissipating, the church thrived as those who trusted Christ were sustained by him, as he met them in their suffering, as he reminded them that death here is never the end. When Christianity becomes the official religion, it struggled with how it was going to act toward those who did not believe in Christ. As often can happen when people are the majority, they did not always treat others with the same respect and charity they had wanted in earlier days. When there is total freedom to worship Christ, there can be a complacency that sets in, as well as a mindset that looks to power instead of humility. There have been schisms and absolute turning on one another as a church throughout hundreds of years has attempted to work out its theology. God's grace and power has kept the church from crumbling. Persecution can be defined as hostility expressed as a result of identification with Christ. That can include torture, imprisonment, loss of home or possessions, death or death of children. Today, it is estimated that 215 million Christians experience some kind of persecution for following Jesus. Nearly one in every 12 Christians in the world lives in an area or a culture where Christianity is illegal, forbidden, or punished. It is estimated that more than 150 people, 150,000 people are killed each year for being a Christian. In the course of history, it is estimated that 70 million Christians have been martyred for the faith, with half of them being in the 20th century. Persecution for Christians today is the worst it's ever been. In human history, there are more than 65 countries where Christians are routinely harassed and denied fundamental rights as people. Of the world's three largest religions, Christians are the most persecuted. Christians make up 33% of the world's population, but Christians experience 80% of all religious discrimination. 
Jesus says, we got to be ready. The truth is that all who follow him need to be prepared to face opposition, whatever that looks like. A few years ago at our general conference, Bishop Matt was talking in the back of the room to a pastor from a country where Christians face intense persecution, a place actually where it's not legal to follow Jesus. As our delegates were debating various pieces of theology, he asked the bishop, why is this being done? Why, why are you doing this again? And how many of these brothers and sisters have been jailed for their faith? And Bishop Matt said, none. And the man said, I will pray for these leaders to be persecuted for the faith so they can stand up for the Savior. We pray for those who are persecuted in their faith, and they pray for us, that we would be strong, that we would stand up, that we would be bold. It's a different way of looking at things, but let us be ready for all that will happen when we are witnesses for Christ. Here's the second action Jesus gives. Be bold and preach the gospel. Jesus tells the disciples, the good news needs to be preached to all nations. Everyone needs a chance to hear about God's truth. It's offered for all. I think this is a bit of uh, a light of ray in the passage. Don't be afraid to tell people what God has done for you. Be willing to proclaim his hope to those who are lonely and scared. Whatever you do, keep your life focused on Christ, that he is the author of your faith, that his love has transformed you and changed you and given you new life because God wants to reach other people through you like he has reached you. As they are brought before kings and magistrates and governors and chief priests and rulers, the disciples are going to be called to give an account of what they believe. They're going to have an opportunity to deny the faith. Now, this is a big deal because we know how scared we are just talking about our neighbor, talking to our neighbor about Jesus, right? We know how anxious we get when there's a family discussion and Jesus is mentioned by atheists or people who are so against him. We know how scared we get. But imagine being hauled before people who literally, literally can send you to prison that day or to death, who are putting you on trial And Jesus' reminder is such a good one. Don't worry beforehand what you're going to say. Don't be defensive. Don't fret about the outcome. Don't be overwhelmed. I am over these authorities. I I hold everyone's life in my hands. The atheists, I love them. Don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid to speak my truth. Like Moses before Pharaoh, God is going to be with us through his spirit. He's going to tell us exactly what to do. He's our constant companion. This is his work, not ours. We have surrendered our life, and he is going to give us always what we need to give an answer for the faith that we have uh, believed. One of the earliest martyrs in the faith after the time of the apostles was Polycarp, who was bishop of Smyrna. He was in his 80s when he found out that the Roman officials were going to arrest him. And he was uh, going to wait for them at home. But his friend said, no, 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 you need to flee. You need to go to the countryside. And he left for the countryside and had a vision of how he would die by being burned alive. And he decided he was going to stop running. 
Before he was arrested, he spent many hours in prayer. And as he waited to be taken, he told his friends, don't worry about me. My life is in God's hand. God's will is going to be done. And when he was being taken to be questioned, a voice came from heaven and said, be strong, Polycarp, be strong and be a man. In front of a crowd, the proconsul tried to get the bishop to swear by Caesar and denounce Christ, which would ensure uh, Polycarp's freedom. And in response, Polycarp said this, 86 years I have served Christ and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? When the proconsul tried to get him to repent for not worshiping the emperor, he told Polycarp, you are going to be burned. You are going to die unless you repent. And the bishop said, you threaten me with fire, which burns for an hour and then is extinguished. But you know nothing of the fire of the coming judgment and eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. Why are you waiting? Bring on whatever you want. Polycarp saying, bring it on. He was killed that day for his faith because he stayed true to the Lord. May we all be bold in our witness wherever we go because the Lord has called us by name. And we know that sometimes being silent and not saying anything is almost like renouncing him. Everyone who has trusted Jesus for their life can stand tall in the truth that he has given Yeah, people are going to hate us. Yeah, people aren't going to like it. But no one has to worry about proving our innocence or escaping judgment in the face of enemies because Jesus holds our lives in his hands and we will live for him. Here's the third action. Be focused so you can endure. What Jesus um, is describing next might possibly have been the hardest of all for the disciples to hear. That family members are going to betray believers, they're going to sell out their brothers and their parents and people that they have in their family. And this would be an intense level of pain to know someone in your family sold you out, told the authorities that you were a Christian, maybe because they hated the gospel or because they were afraid of being jailed or killed along with you, or because they wanted to find favor with leaders or because they wanted Uh, the Christian in their life to come to their senses. Stop being a Christian. Maybe going to jail is going to help you a little bit. When one's family turns on them, where can they go? To Christ, to their brothers and sisters in him. Jesus stresses endurance at the end of this passage. When he gives them the heartbreaking news that life with him may mean that those closest to them will betray them and hate them, He is also offering hope. Now, we know that some who faced uh, persecution did recant. We know that some Christians did turn from him just so that they could save their life. But we also see how the resurrection brought such a difference and purpose and steadfastness to the life of the disciples that they had not exemplified to that point. Jesus is reminding them that they are not called simply to survive. We are not called in this life to survive this world. We are called to endure. To survive is to eat and to breathe and to sleep. But to endure is to keep fighting, to keep holding on to Christ, not to this life. To continue to keep running the race even when everything inside of us wants to quit. 
Surviving is focusing on the self, and endurance is focusing in on the prize of knowing God face to face one day. The one who endures to the end will be saved. The faith of martyrs throughout the ages, then and now, is inspirational. As we sit here today, we wonder how we would respond if we had no building to worship in, no rights as believers, if we were being hunted down and killed, if we were called on to denounce our Savior. We think about those who stared in the eyes of a persecutor and did not flinch. We hear their stories, we see a vibrant faith in the living God, and we are confronted with what we would do in the same situation. Jesus is a radical figure, and ironically, there are those who tell Christians that God means nothing while simultaneously demanding that they renounce him. That doesn't make sense, except when we understand that they are threatened by his power, which becomes present through the life of the believer in his midst. So how has he chosen us to endure? What is it that you have endured for the sake of the gospel? What are you willing to endure for him? And how it is that we can live out what Jesus has asked us to do? Jesus says we should rejoice when we are persecuted for his name's sake. And look at what he says. He says, you will be brought before leaders because of me. It will not be you who speaks, but the Holy Spirit. You will be hated because of my name. So then we need to decide who we are and whether we're going to be ready and be bold and be focused. May our love for Christ never dim, no matter what it is that we face for him. And let us continue to cultivate the life he has given us and called us into. And may we pray diligently for our brothers and sisters around the world who suffer daily for faith in Christ. May we use our freedom to support them and pray for them. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.